From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, dropouts? It's Stephanie Joplin again with another episode of the Luxury Dropout Podcast. Today, I've got two formidable women with me. I've got MJ Corey and Marie, two sisters that make up Between Two Salads, a new viral sensation on YouTube that is a mix between a variety and talk show and also an account that has blown up on TikTok and Instagram called Kardashian Colloquium, obviously with a K. MJ is a psychotherapist by trade and writer. And Marie is a video editor, content creator, and most recently works with BuzzFeed. So we have a lot to talk about today. Some of the subjects that we get into are early 2000s nostalgia and the comeback that it's making, the identity of Chloe's father, the Fendi Skims collaboration, Hollywood's silhouette effect, the Kardashian curse, again with a K, obviously. We psychoanalyze sex in the city a little bit. We do a deep dive into Magic Mike. And we do touch on the Astroworld tragedy that recently happened here in Houston. So buckle up because it's going to be a longer episode today, but it's well worth it. And make sure you stick around to the very end because Marie tells us about a phenomenon that is super funny that we can look to to remind us of what it's like to be 20 again. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Luxury Shopout with MJ Corey and Marie. Okay, dropouts, welcome back. We've got Marie and MJ with us today. Welcome, ladies. How are you? Thank you. We're doing Thank good. You for having us. Yes. We're doing good. It's so good to be here. Yes. Oh my gosh. So it's been a long time coming. We've had some trials and tribulations getting here, but here we are. Yes. <laughs> MJ, I found you on TikTok as most people have because it's such an easy platform to kind of just go viral on and spread your message on, which is super cool. And I think you found the formula to kind of get that, for lack of a better word, that clickbait sort of thing going, because everybody wants to hear about the Kardashians. And then of course you come online during Kim's SNL performance. And I see you on with this other beautiful woman who looks like you, but not quite. And I'm like, who is that? And of course it was your beautiful sister, Marie. And I discovered that you guys work together. You are coming up with this amazing project called Between Two Salads, which just launched. And Marie, you are the founder of Super Lestela. Got it. Oh my God. Super Lestela Studios. So can you guys tell me a little bit about how the inception of this little project got started and what inspired you? I'm a video producer and I have always wanted to like kind of make my own production company And Michelle's been doing like Kardashian colloquium and all that. And she just like approached me being like, and we've always wanted to collaborate. And we have been always just in our brains have always been like connected, but we wanted to always collaborate in like a real way. And so she was like, I really want to kind of expand my account and like move to YouTube and make like a higher level kind of web series. Would you want to be a part of that with me? And I was like, of course. So 
that's kind of all it took. We just like went after that. And there was like really no questions about it. It was just like, all right, cool. What are the next steps then? So it was a great push for me to also just get my company going. Cause I just was always waiting for that. I have a day job, but like, I've always wanted this. So I was just like, great, like time to do it, time to name it super Lestela and time to get equipment and we're going. So then I just got a bunch of equipment. We were able to use a photo studio that my boyfriend manages and we just kind of planned this 10 episode series and kind of had like, depending on Michelle reached out to some people who followed her, who were down to be on the web series. And so we were like, okay, great. It'll be like a talk show. We just did it. There was no question about it. We just kind of went. I love we that. We didn't even think we just did. And like our relationship is so much about thinking and like analysis, like the heart of my intellectual life, which I guess is a mixed metaphor because it's like the heart and the brain, but is with my sister. So it's a lot of thinking, a lot of processing, a lot of excitement about ideas. But then when this like idea clicked of like all the Kardashian colloquium substance into a bigger, better production, we just did it. I love it. So tell me about Super Lestala. How did you come up with that name? Okay. So Super Lestala, the name, it means a lot to me. And it just came to me when I was like five, I had like a lot of imaginary friends and among them was Super Lestala. I don't know why she came about in my head, but she was just this like superhero. And she had this like long flowing red hair and like kind of like a leather like cat suit on. And she like fought crime in the forest with like forest friends. And <laughs> I just have this like tableau in my head of like, which I didn't really picture her doing anything else. I just pictured her in the forest. And I was like, that's the name. It's super Lestela. And it just like, it, to me, it just represents the beginnings of my like creative, imaginative mind and just bringing that to life. So I know you guys believe like in the, I guess you'd say like spiritual realm. And I'm going to tell you this, that I did a past life regression. And in one of my past lives, I was an enchantress, like with long flowing red hair. And I used to wear all leather and a, like a medallion around my neck or an amulet or something of that nature. And apparently I was like the Dexter of that time. So like I would really punish the bad people oh, um, and nice. protect the good people. Yeah. I personally believe that everything happens for a reason. So that's why I'm telling you that. <laughs> no, that is so great to know because I've had hesitations. Like it feels so right to me to name the company that, but I've had hesitations too, where it's like, Oh, is super Lestella too niche. Like it's not really like a real name. Like, is that bad for SEO purposes and this and that, but like that just to me, like it's a verification. Just, yeah. It's a verification <laughs> that it's like, I'm on the right track. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just was talking about it because I had some ladies on the podcast recently and it was a spiritual based podcast. So I was just talking about it with them. So it's like so timely. So yeah, you're on the right track for sure. Oh, that's so great to know. It's fun to have those like figures as like kind of very like imaginative figures that are like essences that you can like as touchstones. Like we don't know her. We don't know super less. We don't know that like former self, but we like kind of feel like we know her. Yes, that's exactly right. And one of my primal wounds is like injustice and injustice loves revenge. Right. So that makes sense for my past life regression. So I've got to like figure that out in this lifetime. We'll see. Hopefully. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) 
So, okay. But background wise, Marie, I know that you have been in video production for quite some time. Is that right? Yes. Basically, since I've like been a part of the workforce, it's been all creative video production. I currently work in my day job at BuzzFeed, which informs everything. They're kind of just such a creative powerhouse. It's funny because it makes me extra busy. Like I'm doing my full time at BuzzFeed and I'm also doing this, but it came at the perfect time because they really are just such a creative powerhouse. It really helps you think through and kind of like systematize creative ideas. And so I had that practice going into this, which was, I was grateful for. That's amazing. And then MJ, you're a psychotherapist. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Uh, Wow. I mean, just powerhouse of two sisters over here. (laughs) And then you're also a writer and I've read a lot of your work and it's very engaging. And on medium, it says, this is a 13 minute read, or this is a 10 minute read. And I'm like, yes, like the more, the better. Like when it says five minute read, I'm like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I love hearing that. Cause I think they put those like cues out there to kind of warn people. And so I love to think that there's like an excitement to immerse into it. Yes. And I feel like the people that love your content are the type of people that want more content. Cause every time I look at a video of yours, they're like, you know, there's a three minute feature, right? (laughs) Yes. And you're like, I'm aware. Thank you so much. Like (laughs) there's a tactic to my madness. (laughs) I have figured out the algorithm likes the quicker video. So I've been like kind of riding that lately, but I love that. I have noticed that my audience likes to go deep. That's for those people that like to stick around. Yeah. Cause I'm just talking like everyone knows what you are doing with Kardashian colloquium. So MJ has basically created this space to psychoanalyze the car Jenners. And it's so much deeper than many people think. So many people just look at, at these people and they say, oh, they're celebrities. They have money, they're trash and just call it a day. And they're actually so fucking smart. Like everything they do has purpose. Sometimes tragedies do happen and we're going to touch on that. But the faux pas that they do, like the little innuendos, the little hints over here, Easter eggs over there, a la Taylor Swift these past couple week or whatever. I don't really pay attention to Taylor Swift, but I hear the word Easter egg a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so everything they do has purpose. And so when I found your page, I was like, I feel like I found a kindred spirit (laughs) because my sister, Jacqueline, we sit there and we're like, this is so gold. Like we love them. We support them. And it's not like we sit there and worship the ground they walk on, but it's more of like a respect thing. Like these women have taken themselves and elevated themselves to a place where my mind can't even wrap around sometimes culturally, like with what they've done influentively, I guess you could say. Totally. Totally. It has to be my role to be a little bit more neutral and critical of them because of the approach that I have with them. Of course. So that's really a perspective to have about them. And Mm -hmm. it is something that they have achieved. What I like to say, if we were to look at them through kind of a feminist lens, and we can get more into that later, is they have defined what it means to be an empowered woman. They just might not enable liberation of women. I think so there's something to be said about that. And so I totally respect your take. And Also, I think there's something about sister relationships and then watching them and a certain kind of identification or just understanding. So it's cute to hear that you and your sister have a connection about the Kardashians because my sister and I, we kind of analyze the Kardashians a lot. And that's what inspired the account. Yes. And like also the way that you're so direct about it and you do pull yourself away from it. Like you just said, you respect my opinion, but you pull yourself away from like any sort of fandom or 
any sort of, you know, I guess support in the way that you're going to drop as soon as Fendi skims drops, you have an alarm set. Like, I know you don't go that route with it, but I like that you take that approach. That's coming from it, from a, like an outsider point of view. I think that's very helpful to a lot of people. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We talk a lot about too, that there's almost a responsibility to it. And we were talking about this yesterday, actually, like whether you like them or not, it's a fact that they are omnipresent and like they have gotten themselves to a place where even if they like retracted now, their influence remains forever. Like they could just come out of the spotlight right now, but like their legacy remains. And so it's like, I think when something is that powerful and omnipresent, like it's irresponsible to consume it passively. And we talk about that a lot. And so it's like, people give her a lot of shit for giving them a platform or something, but the platform's there. And so it's like, it's more responsible to break it down than to just let it wash over you. Well, I would rather hear it from your point of view than like just Jared or E! News who post the same news cycle like multiple times over and over and over again with the clickbait and all that stuff. Like yours at least gives me some substance. And it's almost as if like the publicist only allows this much, but like then you give us a little bit more. And so it's like, okay, now we grab onto it and understand it more. You're giving us more that we need to feel satisfied. Like you're almost like healing that abandonment wound that people have when people are like, but we need more. We need to know more. Like what's happening with Kim and Pete Davidson? Like we have to know. And you're like, wait, hold on. Let's psychoanalyze that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's a really helpful way of looking at it because that seems to explain sort of what it's doing for people. There's two ways that I like to engage with them. One is contextualizing them and kind of breaking down what's sort of underpinning the things they do, like what the manipulations are, what the planning is. And then I also think they just are a useful tool or excuse to learn more stuff because they represent so much. You can do spirals inspired by them as like the prompt. And so I also just think if people like to learn, they're a good excuse to start learning things. I like to give takeaways. So it's like the post I just did about where it's sort of like a meme of Kravitz's relationship with the media. The tableau. Tableau. It's like, actually, let's talk about like Renaissance art. Let's talk about some of the weird postmodern things that were already being done in that era. And I didn't give much of a lesson there, but it was a way to kind of start the conversation. So it it started. It started it. (laughs) The comments were fun. The comments were really good. Your followers are actually like very smart. Like I read them and I'm like, wow, like that's on the nose. Or like your sex in the city asked me anything yesterday. I was like, I can't even think of one. And then like, as soon as you started posting them, I was like, damn, that is like really on point. Like with Miranda getting the, the, the LASIK. Yeah. LASIK. (laughs) The LASIK with Kylie and her bell. I'm like, God, it's so on point. I love that. I'm glad we're bringing this up because this this is a little Easter egg for the web series. Oh, Um, it is. You may or may not be seeing the responses. So Between Two Salads is the name of the web series, guys. Just so you know, it's on YouTube. So go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yes. Thank you for the plug. Yes. And so (laughs) we may or may not have a Sex and the City relevant episode coming up in time for the debut of the new Sex and the City reboot. And (gasps) it's going to be fun. And I wanted to ask my following, like, yeah, like what are connections we can draw? I was really curious. And there were so many surprises. And then I had so much fun, like stoned it on NyQuil. Yeah. Images. Like that was, that was fun. 
it was so much fun. It was way easier than I expected. Like there were so such relevant images. So connect. That's so true. And like so many that I didn't even remember. I mean, I watched that series like six times and I'm like, I don't remember when she did that. I don't remember when Carrie was in bed with that guy. Who's that guy? Like I, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but I, I like that you got the images to correlate to their answers. That was helpful. Totally. Yep. When you open the floodgates of like the comparisons between Sex and the City and Kardashians, it like is endless. But that's what I appreciate. It really does kind of expand your way of thinking. And if you engage with her content enough and like kind of absorb kind of the concepts that she's bringing enough, like you start thinking that way. It really does open your mind up of how to think about things. Well, MJ, honestly, like you've helped me with your work in the fact that I used to have these thoughts, like these inner thoughts. I didn't used to share them. But for example, I used to think to myself, gosh, Chloe's brand is so cheap to me. And that sounds so snobby to say, but like, I can't relate to it. I don't like good American. I don't think it's like her at all. I feel like she just pushes it. I don't think she really has too much of a hand in it. It's not like Kylie Cosmetics. It's not like all of KKW stuff, right? And then you come in and you validate that. And you're just like, that is Chloe's brand where they put her because that is what sells for her. Right. I'm like, oh man, I'm like, so I'm not the only one that feels this way. Like I don't need to consume Chloe to love all of them, but I can actively have an understanding of that. Yeah. It just feels good to have an understanding of how these systems work. And I'm learning as I go too. like, I wouldn't have thought of that. I don't think until I learned more about Las Vegas and real theory and study of Las Vegas. And then when I learned, oh, there's a whole system, there's a whole economy to the way the casinos are kind of marketed or made and then marketed in Vegas. Then I was like, oh, okay. So the Kardashians operate with almost every individual sister as a different casino. So I'm doing the connections as I go to, and it feels really good. So I'm just kind of sharing that. Yes. And I want to bring up the Vegas thing as well. I mean, we have so many things to talk about. It's like blowing my mind. So I went to college in Vegas. I went to UNLV. So I know Vegas very fucking well. And when you use that analogy, it's so true because like nobody wants to fucking go to the circus circus. Like everyone wants to go to the win or at the time it was like the Bellagio was like the where to go. And it's still nice, but it's not as nice as like, like say for me, if I went there, I only like the win and the encore now on the strip because to me, you can't get any better, but that's only because I've consumed every other property on the strip. And I just know now that like, I'm not going to go to the Luxor. Like that's just like a thing of the past. Yes. That's so interesting. Marie gets credit that Marie clocked it. Marie was not into Vegas at first, but she knew she loved the win. I love it all as just like, that's it. so funny. <laughs> yeah, Marie too. She, like right away. She's like, the win is it for me. Yeah. I'm like, all right. When are we staying at the win? Say less. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, but oh. also going back to Sex in the City. So with Carrie too, I remember like actively watching it when I was younger and being like, why don't I connect with Carrie and why don't I like her? Yeah. And like a lot of people said that about Miranda. She was such a quote unquote bitch. And like at the time, nobody really identified with the lesbian character. Like that was just the thing back then that nobody, everyone's like, no, that's, that's odd to me. That's an odd concept. I'm like, Okay, well, that's not the part that Miranda was fine for me. Carrie was the one where I was like, what is wrong with this bitch? I can't stand her. And now you and actually, you know, other creators too. They're like, yeah, she's a really flawed character. Like she's not meant for you to bond with and to like her. And I'm like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> totally. No, a lot of people I know are not into Carrie. What are your thoughts on Carrie? Ree? That's a good question. I was just thinking about like, what do I think of Carrie? She was always a little bit prudish to me and annoying. I didn't hate her. And there were parts of her that I guess because she was a main character, I just said, okay, I'll make myself kind of like relate to her. But it's interesting. She's kind of a combination. Now, as I'm thinking of it, I feel like she's kind of the combination of all the rest of the three, plus her own little flavor. I think she is supposed to be this like flawed, very human character where all the rest of them are supposed to be kind of archetypes of people where she's supposed to be just like maybe this kind of just like flawed human version. But yeah, they're all flawed, right? But like, I can appreciate Samantha's flaw of like wanting to be a boss bitch and just like manipulate men using sex and just like go get her bag. And I can appreciate Miranda's stigma of like all men fucking suck. And like, no matter what I'm doing, and even if I try this or that or whatever it is, it's still not good enough. I went to Brooklyn and I still got cheated on. Like I can empathize with that. Right. And then, oh, that's another one for Kim. It's not on the Kardashians yet, but going to Brooklyn, like how she goes to Staten Island for Pete. Oh, right. Yeah. That okay. is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she went over that damn bridge and still got cheated on. And then for Charlotte, like she thought she was going along this perfect path, like prim and proper. And she found the right guy and then he couldn't get it up. And it's like so fucking relatable. But Carrie is like, she's a writer, which at that time, like I was writing too. And I was making next to nothing like pennies. And I'm like, how is she affording Manolo Blahniks? If she's putting on a credit card, how is she not bankrupt? Like, I know she lives in a rent controlled apartment, but like still she's going out to lunch with the girls, dinner with the girls, drinks with the girls, her outfits. Like it just didn't jive with me. And like, she was always smoking and in a corner, just like, and she'd always see the guys. (laughs) I'm like, how do you get guys when you just like look all pickled in the face and you're smoking a cigarette? Like, I don't get it. I'm just not relating. So I never hated her, but you're right. Because Marie, you were on the nose when you said she's the main character. Mm-hmm. So I have to like her. Like I have to identify you with her. It. Yeah. yeah. You just accept it. You're like, all right, if I'm going to watch a show, I guess I'm going to like accept this main character that they've yeah. put on me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we can translate that and take it into the Kardashians. When you talk about main character moments, yeah. we always say like Kim is the main character of the show. Like we see that from the very beginning of keeping up with the Kardashians of their very first theme song when she yeah. like is in the front and she's like, what's up guys? Exactly. <laughs> but now we have a different, it's like we have a different main character right now in we Courtney. Do. And that's something that you've been talking about. Can you touch on that a little bit for those who haven't watched all of your work? Can you touch on Courtney's main character moment? Yeah, I think some commenters when I was posting those videos were like, you got it all wrong. Courtney's always been the main character. Courtney carried the show in a lot of ways and she said it herself. And there's been some like sassy Courtney clips where she's made jokes about it. I brought the comedy to the show. I carried the show. And I think that's true. But she was never framed as the main character, even though a lot of her drama with Scott was really important to the narratives. Yes. It was Kim. The focus was on Kim. Kim was outside of the show doing all the brand deals, just getting that attention. What's interesting is now with Travis, and there was something that specifically inspired me to see it this way. 
it's funny that it transcends the show. The show is over. I mean, it's coming back, whatever on Hulu, but we're in this like empty space right now. And Courtney's with Travis and we love it. Everyone's eating it up. I think people are a little sick of it right now. I think they're pushing it. They've been writing it a while. I didn't know that stuff about Shanna and Halloween and the costume and true romance until I was a little late. What the heck? That was weird. That was weird. And that's not great karma. And I don't think people like that. So we'll get to that. But I think it's souring a little bit. But at the peak of Kravis, it's been like a main character thing. People were more interested in what Courtney was doing than anyone else. And I think this is where the Kardashians are very smart. I think they understood that and they know when to phase back to allow that, that shining moment to just trend. Like people would also say, oh, I bet Kim's so jealous right now. Or like, where's Chloe? I think that they know their cues to like, let something trend and, and maximize. So what I kind of think is this is a really fun love story to watch unfold in tabloid media. And there's something about a love story, specifically the hormones that it induces in the Vegas video essay. I use that David Phillips talks about hormone in science and storytelling. It's inciting that when we're seeing like a great love story that engages people in a deeper way. So it's a good story. She's getting her main character moment. Yeah. And we've been writing this nostalgia wave for quite some time, right? Like this whole, like bringing back the nineties stuff. I think it's been like at least two years that we've been doing this, if not more, I can't get enough of it. I personally am like, I love like having that serotonin boost that brings me back to when I was in 10th grade. Like that to me is, is wonderful. But with her bringing Travis Barker into the collective picture, it's like, she's also taking us back into that zone where like Blink-182 was king. And just like at Simon's wedding, where he wasn't the main character of his own fucking wedding, which is hilarious. (laughs) They were playing all the small things and everyone's like, singing it and around them and just like she's bouncing on his lap and I'm like what is happening totally (laughs) totally it plays it out it totally does (laughs) because well all the small things will probably make anyone sing at a wedding anyway if it's like it all concentrates energetically on like the moment like they're reveling in it that video is fucking crazy (laughs) (laughs) I know like Addison Ray, like Corey like I think Kendall's filming I don't know I couldn't tell like you said And then you said, like, we have that third perspective of like someone taking a photo of that entire moment. It was like the last supper, like, like what is happening here? Like, it's It's all the dimensions were active in that moment. I know. I love that so much. And like the picture that you posted truly looked like an oil painting. Like it did. It did. (laughs) How do they manage this one? But they always do. There's always something absurd. There's always something so aesthetic or ironic or something like a little artifact that's just captures it all and i don't ever believe that like they're jealous i think the only time i believe that someone might be maybe envious or upset is like maybe the fact that like chloe doesn't get invited to the met gala like maybe that like secretly she probably is like ouch that kind of hurts but she's like we talk about her brand does not allow for that space yeah so. I bet there's a feeling there, but I also think there's a lot of acceptance there. That's where the mantra of they're really great business women comes in. I think you do have to separate emotion from the work at a certain point. And I think they've learned how to do that. Those are the ways that they are talented and they've built skills. So they know the grit that they need to get through. And she's like, well, I laughed my way to the banks, the shilling, migraine stuff and whatever else that she's her new thing is. Oh yeah. She's doing just fine. Like despite her taste in men and I can't talk like I'm single. So like, don't get me wrong, Chloe, like do your thing girl. But like, damn, I mean, 
basketball players. I've dated basketball players. Like not. Mm-mm. Nope. I'm sure. It's yeah, hard. I, out. I hear about it from my street friends. <laughs> it's so hard out. It's really hard I, out here. No, you, totally. I'm it jealous really. of you guys right now. Really. Uh, <laughs> no, I know, but I'd prefer to be alone, obviously, than with someone who cheats or someone who doesn't treat me correctly. Even if they are like Tristan coming online. Oh my God, my beautiful baby, my beautiful Chloe sending me flowers, doing all those things. But then like you're low key cheating. Like I'd rather not have any, I'd rather just be alone like personally. So I do feel bad for her. I did have to unfollow Chloe because, and I'll tell you why. So knowing that they alter their bodies with like surgery or whatever they do, I don't know what it is. I want to know so I can do it myself. But they do alter their bodies with surgery and that I can wrap my mind around what I cannot handle. And what triggers me is when they Photoshop the shit out of their pictures, which Chloe still does. And it triggers me badly because I used to do that to my photos all the time. Like I have posts up or like reels where I legitimately had a picture with my sister when I graduated college and her leg is gone because I Photoshopped it out on accident. It's just gone. Yeah, it's just. It's gone. And I was using a bit of her being like, Hey, where'd my leg go? We called her peg leg. She's like, I think my legs just behind my other one. I'm like, no, your leg is all the way gone. Like it's just gone. And it was on like Photoshop, like on the computer. So it's not like your phone where you're really looking at it like hard, I guess right here. So yeah, her leg was gone and I posted it and I'm like, I call myself out and I used to look at every picture and just see fat. I'm fat. I can't post this. People are going to think I'm fat. And like people used to comment on my pictures, fat, whale, whatever, all the time. And now I just like filter the comments so they can't even say those things, which is sad that I have to do that, but it's like to protect my own peace of mind. Because right. <laughs> um, I'm recovering. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But with her, I would look at her picture. I'm like, this is so heavily Photoshopped. I can't wrap my brain around it because it's not a surgery. It's a manipulation of technology. Yes, absolutely. And that it has that effect. I think the way they use technology has an uncanny valley effect. And uncanny valley is a term that initially was meant to apply to like AI technology and like how weird it is when like robots simulate humanness, human features, or the human eye knows there's something off. And the Kardashians like incite uncanny valley with the way they play with technology and filters, which is very like futuristic. It's interesting, but it's definitely not helpful to our own concepts of what it means to be a person. Mm-mm. No, not at all. I, I noted also with social media, I'm sure you've noticed this, that with Courtney, she never speaks directly to her phone or to the camera. Like Kylie will talk to the camera directly or Kim will talk to the camera directly. Usually it's for promotional purpose, typically. And even Chloe, but I've never seen Courtney. And I don't even know if I've seen Kendall do it. But the only time they talk directly to the camera is on the show. Yeah. And I don't know what that's about, but. Very controlled. Yeah. Very controlled. Even now, like you would think with her boyfriend or fiance, like, let's do a little cute video together. But it's always someone else is holding the phone and filming them. Really? I've never noticed that. But now that you say it, that is very true. We saw Kim. Maybe that's what freaked us out so much. When Kim did her, like, good luck, guys, to the Olympians, when the Olympics, it, everyone had shit to say about that. It made me feel something kind of uncanny, and I posted it without much comment. And the comments were like, what was that? That wasn't really her. That was a robot that was simulated. Like, it might be because we're not used to Kim, like, doing a selfie, really. 
Oh my gosh. Well, that was for sure for skims regardless. Yes. I mean, yes, for sure. That was for a purpose, which by the way, so my sister got her Fendi skims and my sister is tiny. She's three months postpartum, but she's very tiny. And she's like five foot one, like 110 pounds, something like that. She's so small. And she goes, what size do we need to get? I was like, well, like typically, like if I wear a tight shirt, I'm a large. So go up a size. Cause like, for example, this is a skim shirt. This is a skim shirt. It's an extra large. And so I told her to go up a size. So she got a medium. And when we took it out of the box, she was like, oh my God, this looks big. And then she put it on and it was tight. So I'm glad I told her to get a medium, but she looks great. And the material is there. Like it would be as if you were going to Fendi and like really feeling that butteriness and like the quality and she put them on and she got like three different bodysuits. They look great on her. I don't know about how it's going to hold up or anything like that, but I think she spent like a little bit over $500 on the three bodysuits. But some of the price point was, I mean, I think people weren't expecting it, but you have to think about it. It's Fendi. Like at that point, it's not skims solely anymore. It's elevated to Fendi prices. And if you walked into Fendi to get a bodysuit, you know, you're not going to pay $75 for a bodysuit at Fendi. And so for me, for the luxury dropout, as you know, like my podcast is about, I had set my alarm and I was like going to get up and I was going to be the first one on the website. And I was like, no, I was like, I don't need this anymore. This does not define me. Like, why do I need to be for what one Instagram picture? I don't need it. I'm fine. Like, so my old habits, it triggered me my old habits because Kim does such a great job. Like she's so good in her team, I should say. But even yesterday, she was talking about all her teddy bear stuff, her teddy bear slippers, a knit cap, there's socks, there's a blanket. I was like, I want all of that stuff, a teddy bear. So she does such a good job. Yeah. Can you tell us about that experience of like, yeah, hype and then the effect it has? Because that is something that's because I'm so outside of it. Like I haven't felt, I've been curious lately about the quality of skims because I've been hearing about it so much now, but like, what's it like to kind of set the alarm and like, what it? Yeah. Yeah. So whenever she announced the day that it was coming out, I immediately texted my sister because she and I are the Kim Kardashian buddies. And she's like, okay, what size do we need to get? Like, what day is it? Put it on your calendar. And then she was like texting me throughout the two weeks. She was like, do you have it on your calendar? It's at this time. you got to wake up at this time, but we have a time change. Like we were like very into it. And even my friends who know that I love Kim were texting me and they're like, are you going to get it? Are you going to get online? I was like, totally. Yeah. hundred percent. And for me, it was like more about consuming Kim than the collab, but it did put me back in this headspace of like, I have to get it because I have to appear a certain way. I have to have a brand name or logo on me for me to be accepted. And that is what the luxury dropout is all about for me. It's like, I moved away from that. I'm calling myself out on the fact that I used to dress in head to toe, whatever Louis Vuitton, Gucci, and whatever it was, because I thought that that is what made me acceptable to others or palatable to others when it was actually myself and my personality and what I had to say. And no one really gave a shit. They were like, oh, cool. Like for two seconds of their day, they were like, cool, Fendi shoes. But did they give a shit? Did that leave a lasting impression? No. So that night I had my alarm set. I literally had it set, like ready to go. And then I had this moment of this aha kind of moment of you don't need Fendi skims. Like you can get regular skims. That's in your price point. Totally fine. There's no branding anywhere. You don't need that. 
no one knows that it skims unless you tell them. I mean, I love the quality. It's super buttery, super soft. And I wear them all the time, but I don't need it to stay Fendi. Like I don't need to spend $500 on three bodysuits. So I turned off the alarm and I slept in. <laughs> yeah. That sleep was priceless. I'm sure <laughs> it really was. Cause I think the alarm was set for like seven or something like that. And I was like, I usually don't get up to like about nine. Cause I work super late all the time. And so I just was like, I'd rather sleep than spend my money. Totally. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It really was. So it sounds like you're saying there's two factors, at least there's a two second moment of where it feels like someone recognizes the brand and it feels good. And then also there's like a pipeline Instagram that was a factor as well. Yes, that's exactly right. So it's just really interesting to hear kind of the impact that has. And then you're questioning it. So you're using critical thought to kind of slow it down and not let it burden you the same. It's funny because when I was on MySpace, I think this was like 2005. I was friends with Kim on MySpace in 2005. Wow. It's so funny. It's so interesting. I love hearing about the MySpace years for the Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember, so I had met this guy, Alex Quinn, and he was on a show, a reality show with Courtney. And it was something about them being rich and that it's a typical, like taking them out of being rich and putting them somewhere uncomfortable. Like that was like the whole, that was a format. Of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Alex was a guy I met on MySpace. He's actually Anthony Quinn's son, like okay. Zorba the Greek, like Anthony Quinn's son. So he and I met up in LA and then we went out with Courtney Kardashian, Courtney Semmel. Who's oh yeah. Still a friend of theirs. And like one other girl and we went to some nightclub and I remember that Courtney was wearing these Giuseppe Zanotti sandals, like these beautiful sandals. And I was like, oh my God, are those Giuseppe? And she was like impressed that I knew. And I was like, see, like, this is why I have to know these things. Like I was just like so silly. And I still have the photos of us from back then. And I look like a raccoon because I put on so much concealer and I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, I didn't know how to dress like at all. And so they're like cringeworthy photos, but they're there. I still have them. So with Kim, I was trying to get like in with her and mind you, she was not famous at the time. She was like, I would say didn't even have the show. I, I'm pretty sure, but it was just entry level yeah. sort of stuff. And so I was <laughs> like, Oh, I want to buy something from dash. Cause they were just opening dash. And so she's like, let me hook you up with my sister. She's going to send you pictures and blah, blah, blah. So she gives me Chloe's email and it was like, Chloe money, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool because it shows that you clocked that they were going to be something early. Yeah, yeah, I really did. I was like, I didn't know about Chloe at all. But once I found Cam on MySpace, I latched onto her and I was like, this girl's like taking the train, the bullet train. I was like, I want to be a part of this. And I wasn't, but like, at least I tried. <laughs> These are cool stories to have now. Like this is, I'm just like transfixed. Like, wow. They are. Well, especially that nostalgia piece that is so intriguing now. I think part of why we are so nostalgic on social media is because yearning for a more, what feels like a simpler time in media where it was more earnest. Like, oh, I've got a MySpace friend. Maybe I can get to the party and see the person. And it's not so like curated and like epic the way it is now. It was more organic. Yeah. And was there, do you think like a kind of Middle Eastern connection too? that that was maybe some of the intrigue with Kim is like a cool girl on the scene who is also brown? I honestly, like at the time, I don't think I appreciated my Middle Eastern roots like I do now and bond with other women over them. 
because I grew up in such like a white neighborhood and like school. And yes, I had other immigrant, like children of immigrants with me in my private school that I did go to, but it was still whitewashed. Like everybody, even like the girls where their parents straight up could barely speak English were like in high ponytails with the bows. You know what I mean? So I don't think I appreciated it until a little bit later, but you're right. I mean, probably seeing her as like ethnic, like me, I probably related to her a little bit better, like better me reach out to her than say like Lindsay Lohan or Hillary Duff or something who Hillary Duff is actually from Houston, which is where I'm from. That might've been easier to do, but Kim, like it took her a couple of days, but she did reply every single time I would ever write to her. And she would be like, Oh, I love that new pic you posted. She was always like sweet. And then a couple of years down the road, like I was on Twitter and I tweeted something about her. And I said, something I learned from her is that I should always be myself and the right people will love me for me. And she responded to that. And she was like, you're absolutely right. The right people will love you for you. Don't ever forget that, whatever. And I was like, huh? I'm like, I just really like that girl. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. Yeah. So I wish that like, this is exposing myself, but I'll do it. I don't care. Sometimes I reach out to her and I'm like, I would really love to be friends. And like, I just DM her. I'm like, she's probably not going to see it, but I'm like on the off chance that she ever does. I feel like she and I would be good friends, but I feel like that's part of her appeal. It's like, she makes you feel like you could be her friend. And like you were talking about with the accessibility of celebrities, it creates the illusion that you're actually more connected to them than you really are. Yes, absolutely. And there's a positivity to her image. And it sounds like she's been consistent for a long time with this sweet openness and this like professionalism and this openness. I was doing an interview kind of recently with someone who was saying she knows people that work with them and that everyone walks away saying Kim Kardashian is such a professional and a sweet person. So whether it's real, whether it's her, she's been consistent and it's really effective Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. (laughs) And I did want to credit you though for Kim the outline or the shadow. What is that oh, called? Silhouette. 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 Thank you. Which started with Dead Hollywood. Dead Hollywood actually coined silhouette theory. And then I kind of was like, oh, Kim's going to have a silhouette one day. Yes. And I feel like she could have had a silhouette. But like even before the Met Gala, I feel like she still could have maybe had one. But now that is like solidified. Right. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Like it gives me like chills in a way because it's like she knew like she knew that she had to do that and everyone hated it on her and everyone's like, what the hell is this bullshit? I'm like, bro, like this is genius. Like she will never be forgotten. It was genius. And it does evoke something like that. Look, whether you like it or not, kind of like it does evoke something. Yeah. Is it PTSD from Harry Potter? We don't know, but like, (laughs) (laughs) the ponytail was the touch. That's what's going to make it a silhouette icon. Yes. Yes. It wouldn't have been without the ponytail for sure. I think Mario, her makeup artist did like a farce on that, some sort of sketch. And he's like, imagine doing someone's makeup and they're like, they just cover it. It was funny. I forgot what it was, but I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, of course she would get a full face of makeup and then cover it. I wonder if she did have makeup under there. She did. Yeah, okay. she did. Yeah, they did a full face. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely. Oh, well, she probably actually took it off, like in the actual place. Maybe. Oh, maybe. We'll never know what goes on in there. We don't yeah, know. what are they doing in there? Thing. Yeah, <laughs> tell us. Please. Like eyes wide shut in there. Oh my god! Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> 
everyone comes out just like disheveled. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about, I feel like you guys, we could talk for hours, but I'm going to try to go down a few things I have on my list here. Let's talk about going back to Chloe, the identity of Chloe's dad. Why do you think that people are so hung up on this? Like, is it because they think that Chloe's not telling the truth? Because for me, I feel like, I don't know if Chloe knows the truth. Like, I feel like only Chris knows the truth, but tell me what's your take on that. It's actually similar to the point that I found myself thinking about with the joke we just made about, we don't know what happens inside that party. They tell us so much. They give us so much that when there are boundaries or limits to what we do know, what is knowable, then we really yearn to know. So <laughs> there's this like tension buildup that they do create with all the unknowns. And there's very few of them. Who Chloe's dad is, is certainly one of the most, I would say, iconic at this point now. And some people ask me, are they going to drop it one day? And then like, it'll be huge if we ever find out. I think it's the hairstylist personally. I try not to speculate or gossip too much as we I do think it's the hairstylist. Yeah. Easier of them. I mean, those pictures are just like, what? Yeah. yeah. Because Kim and Courtney to me are like very, very similar. I mean, so similar. And there's just, to me, like, there's just no way that that union could have created that third, like, yeah. In no way. And I think that she doesn't want to separate herself from her sisters in any way. I feel like she thinks that's going to damage her brand. And I completely respect that. And I would never be one of those people who's like, I demand that you tell us who does it. (laughs) Like, I don't really care that much, but I think that if they did come out with it, I don't think it would damage her that much at this point. It would be interesting to people. It would also turn her into kind of like the patron saint of that experience too, yeah. of feeling a little othered in the family and having and being a half sister. But the speculation, I'm sure that's part of what attracts people to it, the mystery, but also people that are of that experience. I mean, there's an experience in that family that probably most people can relate to, even in some small way, because there's so many siblings with so many of their own brands, histories, personalities, and needs. Well, and tell me if you guys think I'm wrong, but I feel like Chloe is more ostracized as a other sister than even Kendall and Kylie. Like, I feel like Kendall and Kylie look more similar to Courtney and Kim. And so they get grouped in all together as a four. And then Chloe feels left outside. For sure. She occupies a weird position in the family. And just like all of their kind of like positioning, I feel like it's definitely been a series of choices that have been made. And maybe the paternity thing is like a choice that was made and maybe it might be revealed later strategically or something, but yeah, for whatever reason, she has been just positioned in that way. And it's like sad. We all like know it's sad too. Yeah, definitely. I feel like she really tried to stay with Tristan because she was trying to do what Courtney did. Um, and now what Kylie is doing by selecting one person to be the father of their kids And that's why Chloe tried to stay with Tristan. Ultimately, the timing and everything, it didn't work out. But I think she low-key like would have even had it where they weren't even together maybe and still had the baby because she just wants to keep that recipe of like everybody having the same dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People will ask me that in my comments sometimes like talk about how they clearly have a model where there could only be one like baby daddy. And I don't know what else there is to say about that besides they clearly have a model that there's only allowed to be one baby daddy. They want to keep it like, cohesive like that. 
but I didn't think about that extra element that Chris didn't do it that way. And so they probably were like, okay, two is enough, but there can't be like an extra like aberrant baby daddy, like for Chloe, it has to be, we're just not going to speak of it then. We can't have that like that squeaky wheel. And for branding purposes, truly, because then it's like, even though the Jenners are different, it's like there's a grouping. And so it's like, there can't be that extra. That's too confusing for the brand like image. And also imagine MJ, you were talking about yesterday, like how Chris likes to incorporate the baby daddies into the family and like she posts them and like there's a collage and like, imagine if Kylie had two baby daddies and what she makes two collages. Like it just doesn't totally you're so right yeah and people were saying oh now they're gonna throw travis out i don't think that they are i really don't because that's gonna look bad on them if they do that after everything that's happened which we're about to get to (laughs) Yeah, yeah totally people like to say that they dispose of the men in their lives and i don't really think that's true i just don't see it it doesn't happen what do you say to people who are like there's a kardashian curse like what do you say to that i actually think it's a big world with a lot of mysteries. So when people were asking me about the satanic stuff too, which I actually rationally think it's crazy, but anything is possible. I do think there's misogyny in it. I think that it's people not able to really perceive or understand that women are capable of such power in the moment that we live in, in the world we live in. Women have come really far, but there's still a long way to go. So I think there's almost something that feels supernatural about their presence and their power. And so it's the best application of like, they must be doing witchcraft. I mean, witchcraft and the witch trials are rooted in misogyny. So it's like the historical context of that accusation is like, <laughs> so kind of and I also think that it is a compliment in a way. So people that like want to dismiss them by saying, oh, it's a curse. They're like witchy ladies. Fuck them. You're giving them a compliment because the most mythologized American families have been seen to have curses. The Kennedys have a curse, allegedly. And so that just adds to the power and the intrigue and the like storytelling. That's on the nose for sure. Yeah. Marie, what do you think about one of them dates an athlete and they go downhill or they get injured or they date a singer and they stop being famous? Like, what do you think there's anything to that? Or it's just like, do you think that they get eaten up by the fame machine? Like, what do you think? Michelle and I talked about this a lot, actually. Like, I also agree that it's probably just misogyny like I think like everyone's an adult and like uh, (laughs) it has control over their own lives I just think like rationally you can't do that think about it on like a down-to-earth level like if you're in a relationship you know that that person you can only help them to an extent or hurt them to an extent and at a certain point they have like autonomy over their own lives and choices so I think it's mostly that just because like it has to, it's kind of like toxic to say the other way. Like it just that much. Yeah. Like people are in charge of their own emotions and lives. It's certainly a pattern and all dynamics among people are patterns and like people bring things to the table and it becomes a dynamic and it becomes a pattern. So maybe it's like people attract certain types of people. So there's all sorts of stuff like that, that like contribute to, the unfortunate fates of the people they're they're with. But like, I shy away as well. I recognize that it's a pattern, but I tend to just for the sake of like, not trying to blame women for shit and also just like give everyone their independent autonomy. I tend to just be like, ah, that's just a coincidence. 
as a sports person and a person who has been in the sports community here in Houston, there was a time where Chloe was seen to be dating James Harden, who was like at the time our superstar, if you want to call him that. And they were like, no, don't date him. She's going to curse him. He's going to be terrible. I'm like, you guys are the absolute fucking worst. Like this is nothing to do with basketball people. Right. No, it is just like kind of insane. Like you think she has like, a magic pussy like really <laughs> not like it's gonna just at a certain point it's just like all right you can calm down <laughs> like, mostly, he, but like there's something about them that incites like very magical thinking yeah with the world and there's certain things i don't want to comment on with astral world until the investigation's complete but this is oh my god okay so i have a funny story about it's i mean sadly funny so my parents trainer like who comes to their house to train them he's very into satanic like music and he loves all that stuff so he was talking to my parents about what happened at astroworld and he told them he was like i was hearing all the stuff about satanic rituals and how it was a satanic music festival he's like if it was satanic i would have been there and i was like (laughs) okay i was like that's funny because like to me someone who's really into that would know and True. would want to go, you know, because he's always in like, I don't know what the bands are. I don't listen to the screamy type of music, but he loves those metal screamy bands. And he always goes like full face paint. Like he's really into like Skeletor, like from He-Man. Like he's such a little kid, like at heart, he's my age, but he still is super into that. He's like, I would have absolutely been there if it was satanic. So I don't dial into that at all. But it was a very big sadness here for us in Houston, as you said, ongoing investigation. But with regards to Travis himself, people are like saying he should have stopped the concert. He should have done this or that. I can't help but think about like when you're up on stage and you probably are maybe high, maybe you've taken a couple of pills. I don't know. Drink, whatever. I don't know. Right. I'm removed from the situation. <laughs> But I assume that to put on a concert like that, you got to be a little kinds of fucked up. So you're putting on this big concert. There's so much stimulation. You can't hear shit. Maybe you see like some commotion going on in the crowd. Sure. Like out of the corner of your eye, but you got to be on, you got to be performing. How are you going to even see that there's an ambulance? What makes you know that that's an ambulance? It could be just a light going off from a Ferris wheel. And I'm not defending Travis. I'm just saying like, you can't only blame Travis Scott for this. I mean, there's like, so many people involved, like police, security, the people who put on the concert, the concert goers themselves are pulled out of their minds and rest in peace to those who pass. But it's like you have to also be mindful. It's post COVID where everyone's going to go out and just get bombed and like lose control. And it was just a recipe for fucking disaster, like in general. And I know I know that you can never be prepared for a tragedy, but I can't help but think there should have been other measures in place that should have prevented this because the accounts that I read were like, it was a sinkhole of people, a sinkhole. That was the word that was used constantly. And I'm like, for that to happen, it would have had to be so tight in there that there was no protocol in place. Mm -hmm. And just so people know, Astroworld was a theme park here in Houston back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It was super popular. 
And all the kids used to go and like, we used to go there with like our secret little boyfriends in high school, like, oh, mom, I'm going to Astroworld. But like, really, you'd go with like your little boyfriend and like your friends and you would get to make out. You couldn't make out anywhere else. It was secret. It was like secret at Astroworld. And so it held this like cachet for all of us. It was like this nostalgia. And then when Travis came out with Astroworld a couple of years ago, 2018, I think it was maybe, everyone was just like fucking nuts over it. And I truly credit Kylie's marketing team for whatever happened there because the merch, like how the festival was decorated with like the big face and the puffed up face or whatever. I think Travis like does have a creative mind, but I don't know if he would have necessarily been able to execute like Kardashian Jenner does. Very um, Yeah. And so people say, oh, he was popular before he was this before this before. Yeah, he was. He was an artist in his own right before. But was he global? Like, was he such an explosion before Kylie? Sorry, like, I don't personally think so. They scaled him for sure. So in terms of the satanic panic piece, I've seen Travis Scott actually three times, once in a studio setting, once in a stadium setting, and then finally in a festival setting. And I'm like, his shows are spectacular. So I can understand how people feel like there was a powerful force at work in the sense that he's a great showman. And that's what they liked about him and brought them to the festival and to Astroworld when this happened. I agree that there is a complex, as my partner put it, division of responsibility to what happened. Most likely that is not being covered in the media the media coverage of this, once more time has passed, will be fascinating and so telling to look back on. This whole tragedy is a microcosm of the media cycle and the masses and how the masses receive tragedy, especially in a post-pandemic landscape. Like I was taking heat on TikTok for calling it a tragedy and not a massacre. And I'm like, that's dangerous language to be trying to throw around when the investigation is not complete. And it's also like, it's not accurate. And massacres are often like political in nature. So just fascinating stuff. But you said it all really well. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. Coming from you. That's a great compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And when this happened, immediately I was like, the three of us have to talk about this because I always like to say people understand the severity of it, but they don't understand like the repercussions for us as Houstonians. And it it sounds like a really pick me thing to say, but it's just true that I feel like now, like I was wearing my Travis hoodie this weekend, like out in the country, like an hour away from the city. And somebody is like, Oh, did you go to his concert? And I was like, Oh my God, I forgot. Like I was just wearing a hoodie. They're like, I went to the concert and That wasn't my experience. I was bullied to take my photos down off social media. And I've heard a lot of that where like people post their experience and they were bullied to take it down. It's your personal choice. It's your social media. Do with it what you want. Personally, like I am very aware that people are watching me. So I try not to incite anything. (laughs) If I can, I will speak on things. Like I posted resources. I have a client that I do social media for. He's a personal injury attorney here. And I posted on my story, like, if you guys need help, like here's free consultations, here's whatever. And then like, I get like ambulance chaser and I'm like, it's not, yeah, it's not about that. Yeah, Yeah. I'm trying to help. (laughs) So no matter what you do, you're always wrong. As you said, like you didn't call it a massacre. So now you're satanic or something like whatever, but I think that you're right. Like they have a lot of cleaning up to do. And the fact that they were at like a concert or like wearing that dress, like Kendall wearing that dress, like a week later, just like doesn't fit 
because she was there. It wasn't like where it's Courtney, right? And she doesn't have to talk about it because she's completely separated and wasn't there. But there is like a time period of like respect, maybe just to be a little bit more low key and like postpone those obligations just for maybe two weeks. Like, I don't know, conservatively three. I'm not sure. I don't know how that world works. Totally. The whole thing was so, so, so devastating. And I just hope that as a city, we can come out of it and like still go back to a place where Astroworld can bring us fond memories and not have it be overshadowed by this. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I wonder what will happen for Astroworld. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to have to rebrand like yes. something. Chris is on some it. Yeah. Chris oh, yeah. Is- yeah, for sure. So I want to kind of take a little bit of a break and I want to talk about the two of you um, and a little bit more about your relationship. I want to talk about you guys together growing up in a family of immigrants like mine, how that shaped you and how that made you the person that you are today. Can you talk a little bit about that? We, it was kind of like a little bit of an us against the world narrative. I love that. And it was just us. And like, we were each other's best support system, I think through it all. So, I mean, it just was a recipe to make us very close and very like understanding of one another and of each other's kind of psychologies. And yeah, we just know each other so well, so deeply well. I love that. I feel like my sister and I know each other deeply well, but we didn't get a chance to do that, to have a creative outlet. And I think that that is one of the things I admire most about the two of you is that you chose to do that together. And I think that's so wonderful. I wish I could do that with Jacqueline because she is actually really, really creative now that she has two kids and she's working in my dad's business. It's like, goodbye, (laughs) like see you next year. Like she's so busy. But when we do get together, we're just like cackling over inside jokes and... I'm sure you guys have so many of those where you just say one word and you're just like, you just die laughing. It's like great to have that built-in best friend. So yes, no, you get it. The sister connection is so unique and it's like, no matter what sisters are sisters. That's so true. And even, even though we used to like drive each other insane, what is the age difference between you guys? Five years. years. Okay. So she and I, it was just 21 months, which is almost two years. And she used to pick on me. I used to pick on her. And that was like during the later teenage years. But like now, especially I think after she got pregnant, like she and I became super close. If one of us gets pregnant, it'll definitely be that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like an excuse to do more of what we always are. Yeah, literally. It's like sitting around and just like (laughs) unpacking, talking. (laughs) So can you give me a little bit of a preview of what's coming for Between Two Salads? I know you don't want to give away too much. Yeah. Can you give me a little preview? Yeah. So this 10 episode season and every episode, as we kind of said in the earlier part of our conversation is going to be a conversation with a kind of icon or superstar of the internet of social media, focusing on some aspect of social media that they're somehow connected to. So with young nihilist who we just spoke with, it was memes with our next guest and might be a sex in the city kind of themed where we talk about the Kardashians and how Sex and the City may have laid the groundwork for the Kardashians to occupy new space and culture. And we have a reality TV theme coming up. We have a celebrity memoir theme coming up, which is ultimately a conversation about publishing and print and the death of print. 
So everything's going to be really fun, but it's going to go deep. And with every episode, there's a fun segment. So it's actually more of a variety show than even a talk show. Cool. Yeah. That's even better. It's like a combo though. It's like a talk show and a variety show. I feel like. Oh yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. It's a new hybrid. Yeah. You'll see us out on the street. You'll see us traveling a little bit too. Oh so my God. Uh, yeah. I feel like that is a Kardashian nod. I feel like remember when they went out in Hollywood, like covered in makeup as old people and no one. Realized. Right. They're little gimmicks. Exactly. <laughs> oh, little- uh, yeah. We definitely tried <laughs> to plan the format of the show, giving nods to kind of like media and like how things are like different kind of tropes in media. So yeah. like, the person on the street interview and all that. So for you, like what constitutes a social media superstar? Like, obviously it's not necessarily the one with the most followers. Like, what do you go by? What are your rules? Oh, that's a great question. We kind of went with people that we have access to right now. So people that followed me that really stood out or people that we know in our own personal lives. But within that, I mean, they were all stars in different ways. Young Nihilist has a very, very unique voice and eye on the internet. And she has like a cult following for a reason. And the person we're talking to or the episode we're releasing next week is an expert, like probably I would say the premier expert in sex in the city history. So it's sort of like in a historian sort of sense and an archivist sort of historian researcher sense. So I would say someone that is not passively on the internet, in the current of social media, kind of following the trends and just like reflecting whatever the algorithm is rewarding. It's someone that uses social media or reality TV or media as a tool to really express their project, their vision, their ideas. And that really stands out. And I'm lucky that we had access to those people. Mm, I love that. And I'm sure a lot of them already follow you. I mean, it's to me, you are a social media icon. I can't speak for others. Like to (laughs) me, I mean, the second I found you, I was like, I told you, I was like, I found my kindred spirit, but like, and it wasn't just about the Kardashians. It was just about the way you approach stuff and like the way you made it your own. And like, it didn't fit a specific mold. I was like, this is really fucking different. Like, that's That's so so great. Well, to kind of bring it back to how this conversation started, Marie and I were talking after we filmed before, like, we're just bringing our sister dynamic to the world. Like this is how we sit and talk constantly. We don't know another way. So it's like, oh, wow, the world likes that. Cool. Like this is just a conversation that we have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. I think the live thing, like the Super Bowl, like those Super Bowl. I mean, I could see you guys doing that for a bunch of different things and not necessarily just Kardashians, but like anything that has to do with celebrity or things that are a little out of our reach, just a little bit, like just out of our reach. I think like you guys should cover all of those things. I think that that would be super interesting. And so many people would respond to that. Thank you for that advice. Like the Oscars. Like, I think you should do that. For example, why not? Honestly, because the thing is we don't keep up with that stuff without like an excuse to, so it's actually like we do have a very neutral, detached approach to it. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah totally. I don't keep up with it like a lot either, but I enjoy people's commentary on the red carpet. And I'm just like, oh, wow, like this is an interesting perspective. I mean, if you guys can't beat those guys, I'll be damned because like <laughs> you guys have a lot to say and it's always funny. It's always entertaining. It's always engaging. And people are like, going crazy, like trying to keep up in your live commenting. And like last time when we were doing the live, I was like, 
They're not reading my comment. It's going too fast. <laughs> to <type. laughs> that is like, a good sign. No, good it was super no, fun. Totally. It was super totally. fun. So like super relevant to what we were talking about with the live is Kim. And I don't know if you have been watching her stories. I'm not talking about Pete. We'll go there in a second. Yes. I'm talking about Julius Jones. Like just recently, I'm getting goosebumps because this is one another reason why I'm a Kim stan is because she's like, going into social justice. She doesn't have to do all this. Does she really have to? No, but she's choosing, like she chartered a plane to save this woman's athletic team. And then she basically started this movement for Julius Jones and the celebrity community to get the governor to stay his execution. And it worked. And I'm just like, if that's not fucking power, tell me what is. Yeah. So I was on the mind for a while. Like she doesn't need to do this stuff. So it's really great that she's doing it. I do think to some extent she actually at this stage of how high she scaled, she knows that she should to some extent, this is what will help her to become an icon. Like look at princess Diana, like that kind of humanitarian spirit is what will enable her to have posterity and like a better legacy. That said, these are conversations that really I want to go into the realm of critiquing it still, but I also, when it goes too far into, it's all performativity, it's all empty, it's not useless. That's the thing. I can't really also co-sign with that cynicism because it is bringing up these conversations, I am quite sure, among many people who are not having them. They don't even know that these are forces at work or issues that need to be addressed. So if it's doing that, I think that is valuable. The fact that she's sprinkling these things here and there, it's still content, but it still changed 12 people's lives or 15 people's lives or whoever that was. So it's kind of like the same thing of them balancing two things at once. There is a performativity aspect, but it's still going to be good and raising awareness. I also think that like, I agree that she probably at this stage of her career had to like choose a thing, but it didn't have to be like getting people out of the death penalty. It didn't have to be that thing. It could have been something way less touchy. And like, this is very polarizing. Yeah. And it's like a really, really important one. So she didn't have to go that far with it. And like, I do have to respect that. It's that. Mm -hmm. People have trouble with it. Oh my God. I've seen her Twitter when she has been posting about people on death row and then even kind of addressing some of the crimes in question. And some people can only think about the crime or it brings out people's biases or fears around what the death penalty means and what crime in America means. And just like the questions of the Innocence Project and the importance of the work it's doing. But a lot of people are angry that she's doing this. So it's sort of like making people uncomfortable. She's doing something meaningful. They'd be angry if she farted, honestly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, I'm sorry to like make it that much of a difference, but it's true. Like, no, I, it's true no matter what she does. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. But I do agree that a lot of the stuff she does is performative for sure. Like, for example, what are the odds that last night the news breaks about her and Pete and this morning it's about this Afghan charter? Yeah. Like yeah. everyone's eyes are on her and they have a source going to page six or whatever it is, like you were saying. Yeah. I'm like, there's something to that. And page six is like a completely different publication than TMZ. And they report on different things. And I think, like you said, there's always a rhyme or reason behind what she's doing. So what do you think about Pete and Kim, you guys? <laughs> <clears throat> really um, geeking me out. 
it's not affecting everyone. I mean, it's really having a similar effect yeah. on everyone. I feel like, and it's working. Whatever the media manipulation of it is, it's working on me. Yes, it's working on me too. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. It fucks me up. Yeah. I mean, he's got a positive public opinion. I didn't know that yeah. people like him so much. Everyone's like, "Oh, he has a big dick." I'm like, "Does he really have that good of a dick?" Like, I can't imagine that it's better than a, just a vibrator. I I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I'm maybe I've never had dick that good. I'm not sure. sure. I mean, I feel like for the kind of ladies, I've always been like, wow, he attracts epic women. Like, there must be something about his appeal. I know. That's what my sister was. She literally texted me. She was like, what is it about him? I was like, I think women really like to laugh. And then I joked and I said, oh, he has a big dick. Like, that's what I just said. But I mean, maybe he just has like some electric personality in person. When you meet him, you just gravitate towards him. Like he pulled Kate Beckinsdale y'all like that's huge. Like she's so beautiful. No, it's crazy. I also think I've always said that he probably is like just accidentally good at sex. I don't think he like tries to be, I think he might have a big dick. I think he might just have like some kind of allure about him during sex. I don't know. My partner is whispering off camera saying mental illness. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a sad boy thing for yes. sure. We love a sad boy, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Um, right? yeah, we like a sad she boy. She loves a sad I. boy. Kim loves a sad boy. Kanye is a sad boy. He is so, a sad boy. But I'm also curious because all I've seen so far is just like the whisperings of it. And then all of a sudden it's official. So I haven't read anything like, how is it official? Who said it was? And did they say it? Yes. Yeah. Well, they released the Daily Mail video and it's like a fucking Loch Ness Monster moving picture. Almost like I want to make a post about like the eeriness of the 15 second clip because it's them getting out of a car, moving around the car and like clasping hands and then like unclasping and walking on. And it gives you the like, oh, like. Oh my god, I haven't seen that. I need to see. <laughs> you like it. And it's been I'm invested. But yeah, it is capital K confirmed. I mean, by the various outlets like the Just Jared, the E News, Amanda Hirsch's podcast, Not Skinny But Not Fat. Like she's like, I go to her for my like celebrity confirmations. So yeah, I mean, it is confirmed, but I'm just like, is it? Because I see them in the skims PJs, the matching skims PJs, and I'm like, okay, like maybe this is all for skins, but she doesn't really need help for skins from P. Davidson or Flavor Flav. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, random. But you're right with the collective group of people. It's like these iconic random groups of people. And then you put up the photo of Elon Musk. And I was like, I totally forgot about that photo. <laughs> My God, thanks for watching that. That one, I was hoping the algorithm would catch. I was really like into that. Well, that I just believe that that is what's true. And, and the algorithm didn't catch that one. But yeah, I made a video, Marie, about how they do this. They will- Although I up- love that, first of all, I love that you'd have to tell me that because like <laughs> as much as I love my sister and her content, I get that from talking to her. So I like <laughs> shamefully do not because i don't like tiktok either so i shamefully am not engaging in her <laughs> to be Sorry. fair i got on instagram <laughs> oh, she's like by the way marie if you didn't know i made this video so anyways go on <laughs> i did get it on instagram that's why i had commented i saw that you had posted something about like you're just kind of over the monster that is tiktok and how the algorithm works and you have to be the first person on it and you were kind of like in that headspace last night where you were just a little over it. So I just wanted to check on you and make sure you were good. 
That was very sweet. I'm glad I saw your message. I'm so bad. I've been bad with my DMs. You can always text me, but I'm glad I saw your message. It was very sweet. And yeah, I'm just kind of burned out on TikTok, but I'm going to keep at it. But I was proud of this video. Oh yeah. So carry on. Cause yeah, yes. I do. Want tell to us, tell us. <laughs> the Kardashians periodically will post an image that presents a random collection of people, like a really novel collection of people. And there's science behind this. Like, I mean, they're doing it, I'm sure, but they kind of know that it's fun and it pops. So like this picture of Kim, Pete, Flavor Flav and Chris is like, what? Like everyone was making these takes. Like what was Flavor Flav doing there? The simulation's collapsing. Like who, what, where, when, why? Like all these like takes. But I was kind of like, yeah, it's another like little like randomly generated collection of people to make us be like, what? And a few years ago, they had one from a Christmas party where it was Kanye, Elon Grimes, Quavo and Sweetie and Travis Scott, actually. And everyone was like, the simulation's collapsing with that one because no one really knew that Kanye and Elon were becoming friends and Grimes and Elon were a thing. And so they do like to kind of just like stump us and kind of surprise us. And when something is novel, that actually incites dopamine. It makes us like feel dopamine because there's two things. Novelty creates dopamine. Also seemingly disparate or distant connections coming together create dopamine. So we'd like it. It's like a little high when we see pictures like that. And then they drop the news about Kim and Pete. So they got us all making memes of them. And then Kim and Pete happen. So they drop that weirdness. And then like, they have you kind of like making the calculations and trying to figure out the connections. And then the connections will kind of in the media come out later as like a trail. That's why people go to Kardashian colloquium to like know what's going on. Cause right? like to parse it out. They need the dopamine hit. Oh my God. <laughs> it is more dopamine. And also like I was talking about with Travis Barker with the nostalgia, they hit you with Flavor Flav. Who's like, yes, ultimate yeah. early 2000s nostalgia right there. Yes. Right? For so sure. True. They have people from the Travis Barker era, like engaging so that now they know they've tapped into a certain era of audience. And that's like more back there. Like that's more consistent with that era. It's maybe a different subgroup, but it's like, yeah, those people are going to like, look at that. And it's very fun, like pop reality TV, Flavor Flav. Like this isn't so like fun. Kanye and Elon, which is like its own like randomness and fun. It's like Flavor Flav is fun. But then meanwhile, Pete, and it makes sense on theme with like what they want this Pete relationship to be because he's keeping her young and like looking fun. And like, he's like this fun, like more like, I guess Gen Z's into Pete too. I don't know. So it's sort of like, Flava Flavic is more playfulness in the mix of this playful relationship. We're well, also, to. there's a component of it of like Pete and Machine Gun Kelly are best friends. And like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they're best yeah. friends. Like, like, and then like the Machine Gun Kelly and like Travis Barker connect. So it's like it's Whoa. all becoming. And maybe that's her way of also getting up or like matching Courtney's like main character moment. And I don't think she was ever jealous, but I think maybe she's joining it now. Like and that, yeah. yesterday I saw that Travis Barker posted MGK on his story and that he was outside maybe his studio and he saw this prop gargoyle that he has outside of his studio. And he's like, Travis, this is fucking stupid. You need to move this motherfucker. It sucks. Like, it's so dumb looking. And then the next video is like, I guess Travis had had the gargoyle like moved outside MGK's house or something like that to fuck with him. And he's like, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just like, they're all like getting, you know, they're all, yeah, they're all getting in the machine. So I think we're just scratching the surface. Like you, MJ and you, Marie are like 
more than scratching, but all the rest of us are like clamoring to get in. Like you guys are like knocking on the door and we're just like, help us, like get us inside like the zombie apocalypse because we want to know <laughs> more about what's going on. It's just so confusing. I was watching a documentary on Hulu last night about Von Dutch. And I don't know if you guys know about the insane craziness behind Von Dutch, but you need to watch it. It is absolutely like mind blowing what the fuck went on during that explosion of the Von Dutch trucker hats. I mean, oh my gosh, it's bizarre. Like there's murder involved, the Esco bars involved. Like you're going to want to watch it. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. I'm so down. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. You're like, how did this like Christian Odige? Like I know he passed away, but I like did not know he was so scandalous. Like there's so many things where I'm like, even Paris Hilton is in the documentary. Like God. she talks about it like in a very deep way, not just like surface, just kind of delves in. So it's pretty interesting. These cultural phenomena like often have wild stories of like how they got to be the phenomena that they are. I didn't know this, but my sister and I have a lot of interest in the male review in Vegas, Magic Mike. Yes. Magic Mike is fascinating. Yes. Oh, it's, that it's, movie is Oh my God. <laughs> It's really good. It's I don't know what it is. Favorite. Magic Mike is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's horrible. But like, why do we love it? I'm just like, it's so good. I can't. No, it's not horrible, though. <laughs> <laughs> the acting is horrible, right? Like as a motion right. picture. No, of course. Of course. But no, I mean, the storyline is it's a truly feminist story. Like, yeah, yeah. Marie's got a feminist take. All of those boxes. And it's like not pandering. It's not like you crazy ladies will love this. It's like really actually tapping into something true about like straight female sexuality. Yes. Yes. As a lesbian, I love it. I really love seeing women safely engage in their sexuality and their, and to kind of like reciprocate a healthy objectification of men in a way that's still so much more constructive and not lecherous the way like men are often with the male gaze on women and a kind of utopic depiction of what it could be. And yes. so itself is so lovely. I mean, I loved Magic Mike. The dancing was so good. The dancing was so good. It's so good. They're <laughs> so, so talented. And there's such an emphasis on consent and just like body positivity and mutuality. So I see why my sister loves it. it. And we want to do a we want to do a documentary about it. But when we mentioned this to our mom actually, and she was like, Oh, then you gotta watch the Chippendales documentary. There's a whole like financial economic thing and there was a murder. So like that just made me think whatever's the watch that soon. Yeah, let's do that. So my best friend used to date a Chippendale, and there's like a lot of weird stuff that goes like a Vegas Chippendale, I should say, like an actual one that performed not like a traveling or whatever, like the actual show. I mean, it's a strange environment. Like I went to a a show and like she had him pull me up on stage and I thought he was going to give me a lap dance and I almost died. I was like, I don't want you to touch me at all. Like, please remove your perspirations. Like I just, yeah, exactly. But then they had someone else come on and give it to me and I was like, okay, fine. But like, still, I was so... I'm even turning red, like thinking about it. I just can't. <laughs> it's intense. It. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, it's really contact. intense. But it's not even about like, oh, he's too hot for me. 
I would never be able to obtain this type of man in my life. It was more just like the fact that I am on display and there's a man that's literally almost naked just with a sock on that's on my lap. Because Chippendales <laughs> is more racy than Magic Mike, right? Oh, 100%. I don't know if there's anything feminist really about it. It's like, no, I, it doesn't sound interesting. It's really not, it's really not at all. <laughs> Plus, they put it at the Rio, which is like the worst. Anyway, continue. Oh, that's good to know. I yeah. love the top of the Rio, though. I think it's so pretty. <laughs> it is very pretty, but it's like, this sounds so stupid, but I'm trying to think of the American word because, like, in Italian, I can think of like a word specific that means like, it's like the shit of the strip, you would say, because like they pushed it out to where like the palms is. And it's like where casinos go to die, like sadly, because remember the palms, like it was like an explosion, the play bunny era, like Hef had a suite there and it was oh. like everybody was going there. And now if you walk in there, it's literally like a retirement home. Like, oh, my gosh. Spots. Yeah, it's sad. Those lifelines of the casinos are so interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they're little character arcs that they have. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to ask? That's fascinating. What's the environment like? Like, what do you know about like the life of the dancers? We were very interested in that. Yeah. So it's not like these guys that are going in there are like checked, psychologically tested. Like they're like, oh, great. You're six foot two and you're super hot and you have abs. Great. You're in. I mean, wow. there's really not much of like a screening process there. There can't be. And I know that's not for all of them. Obviously, I can't speak for all of them, but just my experience was not great with them. Yeah. And I know that there was a lot of besides my opinion of him, there apparently were a lot of like show politics that were not cool. So yeah, that's good to know. Well, I understand you're speaking just for that experience and not for them, just what you observed of it. Yes. But that is interesting. And also, cause I actually wonder <laughs> my partner's voice off camera, leave it to Michelle to have a utopian view of the, well, baby, we're talking about Chippendales, not magic Mike. We, have, we yeah. still have a utopian vision of magic. No, Mike. No. <laughs> no, magic Mike is fabulous. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trashing. <laughs> Yeah, there's a feeling that they're doing something. Well, that's special. good. That's insight, though, because if we ever do this documentary, we could kind of like show Magic Mike vis a vis Chippendales and show how it really is an intentionally better show. We talked to some of the people after the show that like kind of run the show and some of the people that were involved, and it seemed great. I mean, initial impressions, we'll see. Yeah, but yeah. I did wonder, I just assumed all the men in these shows were gay. That's just my like gay projection. But my sister is always saying, I don't think so. Not at all. Honestly, I feel like a lot of them at Chippendales were, but the Thunder from Down Under ones, I heard they were not. I heard most of them were gay. Oh, most of them were gay at Thunder Down Under. That's what I was saying because we saw Thunder Damn Down Under. Damn it. I was so ready to be like, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> There's like one or two apparently that are not, but like the majority are. But Chippendales, I know, like I can't even remember her telling me that there was one that was not straight. So, wow. yeah. Oh, That's interesting, interesting, right? Yeah. Really interesting. Oh my God, Marie, we got to do this. I want to do a whole <laughs> You're like, <laughs> There's so much material here. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> so, I want to talk about how you guys found the Kardashians? Like, was it just on TV? Did you hear about it and then watch? Or like, how did that come into your life? And what made that the catalyst to kind of open up this door? Oh yeah, yeah there's a story there. Shelly, it starts with you kind of, and then you brought me into the fold. Yeah, totally. My roommate in 2018 put it on and I just sat down to kind of watch with her to spend time with her. And I'd never really been interested before. I didn't have a bias against it, really. It was more of a bias against reality TV. 
if anything, I was kind of like a uh, reality TV. Why would I? There's been some shows that I've liked, but I've never really been attracted to it. But the Bora Bora episode just kind of blew my mind. Kim and Rob fighting felt very raw, very real. Courtney and Scott like grappling with his sobriety and his alcoholism felt very real. But then it still was the structure of classic reality TV where it's very staged. And there were those moments too. So I was really just affected by it. And I'm trying to remember exact. I would need to go back and watch that episode to remember what else felt like these opportunities for deep dives. But in any event, I went to my sister right away and was like, uh, yeah, keeping up with the Kardashians is really interesting. And then Marie, what did I show you? Because I made her watch them with me. Marie, what was your initial reaction when she said that to you? Oh, I was like down. I was like, oh, weird. I guess I had the same thing about the Kardashians where it's like it had never occurred to me to watch it. But then I was like, oh, OK, yeah, cool. Because like we have already connect. We connect so deeply on like movies and television that we'll always honor a recommendation. So I was like, yeah. OK, great. Like, let's do it. I'm down. We never judge stuff. We never like shoot oh. things down. We're never too cool for something. We're always yeah. kind of like, oh, wait, really? Like we yeah. really like, are guided by intellectual curiosity. <laughs> yeah. humbleness, I think. I don't remember what you put on first. You might have put on that episode that you watched that made you feel that way. Or from what I remember, it was just one of the regular regular, like they're just around the house or this or that. But like, it still left an impression. And I was like, so then once we were sitting down watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is like, the zipper to the universe like yes you, oh right right we yes. did all the zipper oh, to the universe oh my god yeah. so i was good. like if you unzip this show the truth of everything will come out and so that's actually when we together had the idea for the account and we were like we should do like fake academic essay titles of the show of different like concepts that come up in the show and so we started that that's how we started the account i was really young I was not ready for that amount of commitment. So we like went our own separate ways and she went forth with the account, which I'm glad she kept it up. And then that was that. And now four years later. Has like, it been four? Yeah, three or four, I think, right? Yes. Well, and four, definitely four since the moment of its uh-huh. inception. inception. And then she went off with it. And then, yeah, like we lived our lives like creatively. We did our jobs and then we came back together for this just because it was just like, the perfect time to we were both ready like we're both like grown and yeah that's cool yeah and here I was like I was just watching it mindlessly and there's a few episodes that come to mind and I don't know if you've seen these but if you have not you should watch them just for comedic value there is one where Chloe is she's very into there's these campaigns they were kind of like the milk ads I don't know if you remember this but like it was that sort of blueprint but it was for PETA it was like I remember that I remember yeah. that too yes yeah we were still working together at that point I think Marie mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so Chloe goes to Kim and she's like I just got a call from PETA and she's like PETA kitchen <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that is one of my sister and I's like eternal jokes in the kitchen. and then there's another one where Chloe and Kim are in the car and they're driving around and they're like asking for directions because we didn't have GPS on our phones at the time. Right. And so they happened to pull up to this. I don't know if the person was homeless or not, but the person, whoever they were, they were deaf. And so the person says, I'm deaf. And Chloe goes to Kim. She's, she's deaf, you bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it cannot be scripted. Like that is just, 
right. no, happenstance. Totally. Your sister stuff. That's like more sister comfort. Yeah, <laughs> it is actually all of these. Well, besides like Todd Cranes, which I think is like the funniest joke in the world. Chris is like, how did you get this number? <laughs> Well, the thing that's funny about Todd Cranes is like that is that's still families. It might not be sister stuff, but it's still it shows Scott's integration in the family. Like it shows like he's a brother, he's a sibling now to everybody. And it's fun to prank people you know that well. (laughs) I love it so much. And then didn't Chloe dress up as Chris and she like put herself in a dumpster outside of I get them mixed up, but there's one episode where Chris got super fucked up and like it went out for sick with my own. There's like famously like this footage of her sticking her head outside the car in a sombrero and she's like oh screaming. I've never seen that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go TP Kim's house. Oh my oh, God. I can't remember the teeping. I don't remember the stuff before that though. No, but then I, so maybe it was more wild. recent where Chloe dressed up as Chris and she like put herself in a dumpster outside of a gas station and then had like paparazzi photograph her and she was like mom you have a problem like you're drinking too much and her mom's like i don't remember this like i don't know if it's real or not but it was just super funny and this completely gaslights her yes yes what do you guys think about like the physical altercations and the fact that they highlight them and show them and that's what they use for like the commercials for the show like what do you think about that dynamic good question conflict is going to get engagement period they know that it's the same way sex sells conflict sells so they know that it's also sisters are like i mean we haven't been physically body i can't imagine what it would be like to cross the line into physically fighting each other that's what i'm saying (laughs) can you imagine just like punching her in the like what the heck that's so wild (laughs) that's true we do have a different like for sure yeah no we've never crossed that threshold for us even if we get in like whatever take down drag out whatever it's called fights it's like we've never hit each other yeah, yeah. So that's why i bring it up it's the weird no- i think it's maybe the novelty piece then where it's like whoa you don't really see like this boundary being crossed in families in adults and with sisters like on like normal television as but kids, no, as kids you physically fight for sure but-, but they're like 40 and like <laughs> <laughs> Was it Courtney or Kim? Like they had scratch marks. I mean, it was like for real, like an altercation. And I can't help but think like for me, I would be terribly embarrassed. I'd be like, people are going to call us trash. But like somehow they just skated on by. I think it was like one of those moments that they capitalize on the the central question of the Kardashians of like, is it real? Is it not? Where it's like, oh, it's so outlandish that you want to believe it's not real, but then maybe it was. And then that's crazy to think about too. So I think they were probably comfortable keeping that in because it towed that line so well. You're right, sister. I agree with that completely because that's my main experience. I haven't watched that full episode. I've only watched the fight and then the Coco DeVille recreation of the fight. Fucking love Coco DeVille. He's so funny. So funny. So talented. But I mostly sit with, was that real or staged? And I lean towards staged. But one other thing I want to add is physical fighting, table flipping, that kind of behavior is a reality TV convention. So that is that mean like, let's borrow from a convention. Let's do like a Real Housewives moment without being totally engulfed in the Real Housewives energy. Okay. I feel that a lot. I feel like that's very Jersey Shore, you know? Totally. Mm -hmm. So I have one more question for both of you. If you were walking the street today and you saw your 20 year old self coming towards you, you could go up to her. You could give her a big hug. You could tell her one thing. What would that one thing be? Oh, that is such a good question. I would say 
you're on the wrong medication. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I promise you someday you will be and you're going to figure it out and it's going to be okay. I know you're sad now, (laughs) but you're going to be happier later. (laughs) I love that. That's the best answer I've honestly ever had on this show. Ever. (laughs) It is a really good answer. I'm honored. I'm honored to hear that. I think a similar thing of like, I guess I would say you're really frantic, like calm down (laughs) because (laughs) if you like just chill and like let things in more and aren't so like urgent, desperate, insecure, you're going to have better connections and like life will kind of like flow with you more because at 20, I was really heartbroken and it felt kind of alienated and very like desperate to live, but didn't know what that meant. Like I wanted to like soak in New York city and there's a franticness to it. So I guess I would have just been like, calm down, but like you're sweet, I guess. I mean, I think the point of the question is that no one likes themselves at 20, right? right. And that oh, you're I not- thought I liked myself. I thought I did. I think I had the illusion that I liked myself. Totally. But I actually hated myself. Right. I would assume that's more or less universal. I think at least that, you know, at least now that you did not have anything figured out at 20. Like retrospectively, I just treated myself like shit at all. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And whatever our own version of it is, we're just like being fucking rugged with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. 20 is a rough rough age yeah that's a great question honestly that's like such an insightful question you're still not a lesson technically i remember one thing that i think is cute i guess this is like when i was that age i was living at right outside of new york city on my campus that i would come into new york city for like adventures yeah. or like efforts of adventures and most of the time there wouldn't be an adventure if there was an adventure it was usually fucking like death metal rooster marie will you explain what death metal rooster is <laughs> and the fact that that was me at 20 and probably you too all of us at 20 Yes, I was going to say that, but given that this is a podcast, it's like very hard to explain, but like, I'm going to try to do it. Do it. Well, actually, maybe it's not. Death Metal Rooster is a video that I discovered when I was like 15, because I think it was around when you were 20 that we like started making it a descriptive term. And it's this rooster that's like, but it's doing it like, for an extended period of time. And it's like kind of like screaming and it's like screaming basically, but for so long. And then they put death metal music behind it. <laughs> you got to Google it. Death metal rooster. So Marie was like, Oh, when you were 20, you at 20 was death metal rooster. I'm that was in New York city. Death metal rooster just as a soundtrack to everything. Yeah. I <laughs> Oh, it really is like, yeah, it's just the feeling it evokes is kind of like how you are when you're 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's so accurate. I've never heard anything more accurate in my life. <laughs> no, and you'll start to realize what a truly descriptive term it is when you just think about, you're like, oh, that's Death Metal Rooster. All my friends are on it. They all know the term and they all use it all the time. You have a montage of like the choices you made at 20 with Death Metal Rooster play. <laughs> I'm going to immediately Google this and I'm going to make it the soundtrack of my new life. Like, it's- yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. I think self-love is something that like I've always struggled with. And like now I'm getting to the point where I look at myself and I'm just like, this is who you fucking are. Yeah. So like now you have to love yourself and it doesn't really matter who else loves you. If you love you, that sounds so cliche, but 
I wish someone would have told me that at 20 and me have the capacity to understand that. Cause I think at 20, if you would have told me that I would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I wouldn't have had the capacity to right around it well and that's the thing like cliches sound so cliche when you are in a headspace where you're not actually (laughs) deeply thinking about things where cliches are cliches for a reason because they are true and you reach a place in your adult life where you're like it washes over you in a real way where you're like oh i understand why people say this now no for sure okay so my real answer to your question is i would like to say to 20 year old me it gets better but i feel like i can't because i'm gay and i feel like that's extra corny but it's I'm not against better movement because it's fucking true. Oh, absolutely. I don't have a hot take on that. Like, it's cool to have a hot no. take on better. It's fucking true. So that's no. actually what I would say. New answer. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and a lot of people do say that because it's like their truth. And that's completely fine. You don't have to have some cool answer to the question. There's no right or wrong. It's just however you feel in the moment. Because it's important that women understand that Although we are so different, we are all so alike in so many ways. And we need to be supporting each other and not tearing each other down, which by the way, it's normally men that are tearing women down on the internet. But like my trolls are all men, like all there's, I don't think there's a single woman troll, which is insane. But like I said, we've got to support each other, got to be there for each other. And speaking of how can we support the two of you? Oh, Great transition. You know. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I'm like well, MJ is Kardashian. Is Kardashian colloquium underscore colloquium on Instagram. I am super Lestela on Instagram. L-E-S-T-E-L-A. And then between two salads is the name of our web series on YouTube. And We are going to drop them. We're taking a break in December, but then after December, it'll be twice a month. Twice a month. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited. Put me on the mailing list for that. You guys should really, no, you should guys do an email mailing list. I feel like that would be smart because I would want to be notified outside of social media that that's happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great to know. We'll get on that for sure. We're trying to figure out our strategy as we go. Thank you. The yeah. best, that's the best way to support is just to engage and share yeah. and keep up and keeping up. <laughs> well, congratulations yeah. to yeah. both of you. You're doing such an amazing job, such an original idea, such an original platform. And you are making people think, which is something that is hard to do in this day and age, because in an age where you just scroll mindlessly, you make a stop and actually ponder what you're saying. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. You're making a really cool space online too. This is definitely a space of positivity and curiosity (laughs) and self-love. It's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much again for your time. This has truly been such a pleasure. Seriously. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel like I can be like your surrogate third sister now. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on if you're on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to the show if you're listening on any audio platforms. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm going to keep it short today because we had a long episode, but so much good stuff. I really hope you enjoyed it. And please go and support MJ and Marie's venture between two salads. I left a link for between two salads in the description box so you can't miss it. So I am sending you so much love. Stay safe. And I will see you on the next one. That's a wrap for this episode of The Luxury Dropout. 
Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties.